Um, we might have a problem, Dominic. What? What's happened? Well, one of our listeners in Germany, Marianne Wirth, has drawn our attention to a new law that is going through the German parliament that would make denigrating the EU anthem punishable by three years in prison. Which begs the question, is the beautifully tuneless jingle of this podcast actually a criminal offence? They don't get to decide what we can do with Beethoven's piece of music. This is the European anthem. isn't just the European anthem. It's also a piece by Beethoven. So when we play it, it's got nothing to do with Europe. Our composer, Jim Barn, is probably the one that's going to be in trouble, let's be honest. <laughs> There's only one way to test out if it's legal or not. Let's play the jingle. If we're not back next week, listeners, it's because we're in a German prison. Send for help. But uh, yeah, anyway, this is the Europeans and you are in Budapest. I am, yes. And I saw you in real life earlier this week, Katie, in London. I've been everywhere. You gave me a piece of cake. It was very nice. It was a nice cake. Thank you. But I am now in Budapest catching some sounds for an upcoming episode. So I haven't done much touristy exploring yet, but um, I did have some goulash yesterday, which was really nice. And uh, I'm excited to hear more about the special episode you're making. But are we keeping it all top secret for now? Yeah, let's keep it under wraps. We keep saying we've got loads of top secret things and none of them have come out yet, but um, <laughs> we promise we are actually doing some stuff. The first of these things will be coming out very soon, so uh, stay tuned. But um, what were you talking about this week? This week we're going to dive into the world of over-tourism, which is something as an Amsterdamer I know quite a lot about. Over-tourism is the thing when a city becomes considerably less livable in because of the sheer number of tourists visiting. That's probably an obvious thing to say. Venice is one of the cities in Europe that has one of the worst cases of over-tourism. There are only 51,000 permanent residents who have to deal with 25 million tourists each year. It's insane. So later we're going to be speaking to a local resident there, Elena Ryu, to find out about what's happening there. But first... Who's had a good week, Katie? I don't think anyone is going to be surprised by my pick for this week. I'm going to award Good Week to climate protesters across Europe and the world. Why not? This is a global movement. Uh, Although it was, I think, especially moving to see so many people turning out on the streets of our little continent this week. Hundreds of thousands of people in France and Poland and Germany and North Macedonia and Denmark. And I'm going to stop there. Otherwise, I'm just going to fill up the rest of this episode by listing countries. But it was a really amazing thing to see. And I don't want to spend too long just slapping everyone on the back just for walking. But it is quite a thing to take a second to think... This all started with a Swedish kid sitting outside a school, going on strike on her own. I think you tweeted two pictures, Dominic, from our account that showed exactly that, like Greta Thunberg in 2018, yeah. outside her school with this little poster that said, Skullstrike for Klamatet. And um, alongside that, a picture from Friday of this absolutely massive crowd filling the streets. She has sparked a truly massive movement across the world. So yeah, it was a really great day for people taking to the streets and demanding action from their governments, often with very excellent signs. My favourite was this woman protesting with a really tiny little placard that said, use less paper. (laughs) And okay, the cynics out there will say, you know, what difference will any of this make? But I would argue that the fact that the German government announced on the same day a massive package of climate measures worth something like 54 billion euros okay it was like obviously a very deliberately timed announcement to be like ta-da we're doing something 
But would they be doing this if German voters weren't signaling to them that this stuff is really important? I don't think they would. Yeah, I was um, a bit conflicted about this one. I was thinking, was it meant to be only young people marching? Because I know a few adults that march. And I was like, <laughs> guys, come on. I think everyone should march for everything. Get our step counts up. I don't think we should march for everything. Yeah, okay, maybe not like neo-Nazi rallies, but you know what I mean. We did our very little bit. Well, it's a bit pathetic. We weren't even walking, but... Uh, Extraordinarily tiny. We joined bit. the podcasters across the world in supporting the climate strike. Hashtag pod strike. And here's a little clip they put together. We are the younger generation. We are the ones who are going to be affected and therefore we demand justice. When do we want justice? When do we want it? Podstrike. Podcast supporting the global climate strike. Everyone should mobilise for the 20th of September because this is a global issue which actually affects everyone. We are all in the same boat, so everyone should be concerned about this. I'm striking because if we don't fight for our future now, soon we won't have a future left to fight for. I support climate strikes to push climate leaders to act for a brighter future for everyone. I'm joining the strikes because I believe it's time to resist and to take charge of the future that belongs to us, not to the fossil fuel companies. I'm joining the climate strikes to seek equality for the next generation. We need you to be a part of it because we need every age involved. Young people have been leading here, but now it's the job of the rest of us to back them up. This shouldn't be the children's responsibility because now the adults also need to help us. So we are calling for them to strike from their work because we need everyone. There is nothing we can't do and I mean, if not you should do it, then who else? And if, if not we should do it now, then when, sh when should we do it? This podcast is part of Podstrike, supporting Greta Thunberg and the young people behind the global climate strike on the 20th of September. For more information, head to globalclimatestrike.net. Um, just to fill you in a bit on what the German government has announced, they are basically putting a price on carbon emissions, which, among other things, will make plane tickets more expensive and train tickets less expensive. Makes sense. Um, and in fact, quite a lot of the package makes sense. But it wasn't met with quite the euphoria that I think Angela Merkel was hoping for. Uh, a lot of climate activists took to Twitter with the hashtag NotMyClimaPacket to complain that it's nowhere near enough. Like a lot of these measures aren't going to come in till 2021 when they actually need to come in now. And the other thing is, I have to say, watching this from France, I'm a bit worried to see how things pan out. It was similar plans to raise the price on fuel to help protect the environment that sparked all the Gilets jaunes protests in France. Like, it just really didn't work well at all. I think we really saw in France how people really want to protect the environment, but it's really important to do it in a way that doesn't disproportionately hit the poorest of us. And I will be interested to see if Germany can do that. Yeah, it's really a tricky one, like not to be totally gloomy about this. But yeah, I've been talking to some people about it recently saying that like we have to at least be a bit optimistic because if we lose all our optimism, then definitely nothing good will happen. Um, if we give up and are only gloomy, then 
How are things ever going to get better? I feel that you saying this has been influenced by the fact that you've been interviewing some quite pessimistic people in Budapest this weekend. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But um, who's had a bad week, speaking of pessimism? Uh, well, actually, bad week comes from Budapest, where I am right now. But I'm not having a bad week, no. It was only a bad week for the residents of the 14th district of Budapest after they were kept awake for hours in the middle of the night whilst somehow mysteriously... Music from the hard rock German band Rammstein was being blasted from the speakers at a new football stadium that's being built in the area. It was their song called Deutschland and it was on repeat for seven hours in the middle of the night on Monday night. <laughs> I love this story. Keeping residents awake. Uh, the stadium owners apologized on their Facebook page saying... From Monday to Tuesday, there was an unpleasant noise which was caused by a technical error, according to the contractor. The entrepreneur has taken the necessary steps to ensure that such a case does not happen again. Entrepreneur is Google Translate there. It's probably wrong. Um, but yeah, firstly, I think Ramstein might have something to say about their music being described as an unpleasant noise. Rude. And secondly, how did this happen? I want to know. Describing it as a technical error is rather vague. Does that refer to perhaps a drunk contractor? Uh, was it someone who did that embarrassing thing that sometimes happens to me when I'm on the tube and I think I'm listening to a podcast on my headphones and then realize that actually the headphones aren't plugged into my phone and the whole tube carriage has been forced to listen to the latest episode of Women's Hour due to my stupidity. Perhaps it was just that on a massive scale. But anyway, I'm glad I arrived in Budapest on Friday and it meant that I've been sleeping seamlessly through the night with no hint of Rammstein. I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you to Anders on Twitter for flagging up this story. It is indeed one of our favourite European stories we've seen in quite a while. Can we just give people a taste of what it's like? I mean, we're not going to play seven hours of Rammstein, but I just want to give an idea of what that would have felt like at four o'clock in the morning. Ah, make it stop. That was lovely. I think we should have more Rammstein on this podcast. That's really the stuff of nightmares. Can we talk a bit about your husband's suitcase? Because I feel like it's quite indicative of how tourists have come to be regarded in your home city of Amsterdam. What about the fact that he won't ever wheel his suitcase around the streets because he thinks it's disturbing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always do it anyway, but he, he will then like take it off me and like grumpily carry our very heavy suitcases around because he thinks it's disturbing for the neighbours. And it is something that people in Amsterdam hate. They hate the sound of wheelie suitcases across the cobbled streets. It can wake people up, but haven't people heard about earplugs? I think there are other much more annoying things about the presence of tourists than the wheelie suitcases personally. I mean, obviously, you've used this podcast many times previously to rant about tourism. But uh, what kind of things do the tourists do that annoy you in your own town? I'm not personally such a tourist hater, actually. I always, when I step out of my front door, which I do sometimes occasionally when I'm not podcasting and um, there's almost always a group of 15 usually Spanish tourists having a tour on my doorstep and some people would be like oh get off my doorstep and I'm always just like yeah I'm really lucky to live here I'm really lucky to live somewhere so beautiful that people want to come and have a guided tour around the streets. The, the thing I don't like is the big groups of British tourists who are really high and drunk all the time and wander around the streets and get in the way of my bike. It feels like the city is being like taken over by 
louts. Are they still on those um, beer bike things, or have they got rid of those now? Oh, so the beer bikes still exist, I think, but in not in the centre of the city. They used to ride past my old flat, um, and that was really annoying, that we lived out of the centre, therefore it was the area where the beer bikes were allowed to cycle around. Mm. There was just a horrible presence in the street. That said, people, when talking about over-tourism, often talk about wanting to have like the right tourists. I just did air quotes for that, by the way. I find that a bit complicated, because... bit snobby. Yeah, does it mean wealthy tourists, basically, people who are going to spend money in the right places? But having said that, you can go to somewhere on a budget and not get on a beer bike. Like It's not like there's only two types of tourism. What's it like in Paris? Yeah, it does get crowded. But I think maybe because it's a bigger city, we have decent enough infrastructure for dealing with it. It's kind of okay. It's manageable. Also, I live in a quite crappy bit of town, so I don't really experience it very much. Swings and roundabouts, eh? But we are going to be speaking to someone in Venice, which is a place that also is struggling with huge numbers of tourists. I mean, it's kind of the symbol of over-tourism, I think, with 25 million tourists visiting a year and numbers just continuing to rise and rise They basically need to find a sustainable path forward, uh, one in which tourists and residents can experience the city together in harmony. And there's a local group of residents that have come together and created an organization called Grupo 25 Aprile. Um, It has over 2,000 members today, and we're going to be speaking to one of their members, Elena Ryu, to find out a bit more about the problems there. You are a member of this activist group in Venice. What was it that made you decide to get involved in the first place? I have been living here for 20 years, more or less. And I was actually thinking since a very long time to start doing something active for my city. Because uh, when I came here, I was a student and I didn't uh, notice the problems that were piling and piling and piling. But after such a long time, I started to be aware of something that was going worse and worse as time was passing by. I started to notice that tourists were becoming more and more, and also the tourist machine was getting worse and worse for the residents. I don't think you guys want there to be no tourists at all in Venice, do you? You feel that it's just become too much. What is it that is indicative of the fact that there are too many tourists there? We are not at all against tourists because we do recognize that tourists have, so to say, uh, a value because they bring knowledge, because they bring people, people from all over the world and we, they could or at least they used to come for searching culture, art, discovery. Now the tourists are too many. They just want to see the most famous spots and places. They want to take a selfie. They want to post it on Instagram and then goodbye. They don't even try to understand why the city is like it is. There are so many people, for example, that don't even know why the city is uh, surrounded by water. They don't know why we have such specific features that make... uh, Venice is so important or so known in the world. They don't know about the carnival. They don't know about the water. They don't know about the glass. They just come here because someone or maybe something told them that it is cool to come here just for a picture in San Marco Square, for example, and then they go away. Uh, almost nobody talks about the pollution in uh, in the lagoon and in Venice, but in Venice you don't have cars. So people think, ah, Venice, then it is a very nice place to live in. 
Actually not, because we have uh, motor boats and those motors are not controlled and they are polluting very badly the air that we breathe and also the, the stones are damaged by the emissions of uh, engines. Something that we're seeing complaints about all over Europe is these accusations that rental websites like Airbnb are driving out local people because more and more landlords are just keeping places for renting out to tourists. Um, I imagine that's something that sounds familiar to you in Venice. The idea of letting people to host other people from the world is fantastic, but the fact is that people now is more interested in renting accommodations to tourists. So everything that could be rented is going to the tourist system and this is a problem for the residents, first of all, because uh, you have to be very, very rich now because everything is just uh, gone crazy. Uh, I mean, the prices and I mean also the possibility to find a, a house. I can give you my personal example. I just moved and I spent many, many, many months just finding a place of people who wanted to rent to me as resident because everybody else was renting just to tourists. If you have a shop, you also have the same problems because a shoemaker or people who sell clothes and so on just cannot stand any longer the prices. So they are forced to move away, usually to the mainland, and at their place, who will come? Of course, people who sell souvenirs, of course, people who are working in chain stores. Yesterday, a friend of mine who has a shop told me that she will be forced to go away because the price of, uh, of the rent of her shop has doubled. Exactly how does your group work? What are, you, what are the means by which you protest or lobby local governments? We are many people. We speak many languages among our groups. So we try to inform, first of all, everybody. If we have to protest, we also have good ideas. But we are not just protesting because protest, of course, can raise the awareness, but you also have to act. And acting for us is informing. Acting for us is trying to give solutions because uh, we wrote 20 suggestions. Some of those have been accomplished. So what, what kind of things has the government done? Like I've read that they've done things like banning the biggest cruise ships, for example, um, banning eating and drinking in some areas. What, what kind of things are they doing already? And are those things helping at all? Okay, uh, some have been done, for example, the region and the city had finally decided to give to the population some public houses. They also tried to fix some things related to the water traffic. But for example, for the cruise ships, people here in the city would like to banish completely the big cruise ships from the city and from the lagoon itself. I think that the money interests are still too high to solve completely the problem. But of course, we are working, everybody is working upon that. We really need something material, something practical to be done. And very soon, because we are late, we are already late. With all of these problems, Elena, like the pollution, the overcrowding, everything, are you ever tempted to just leave Venice yourself? It is a tiring city, but first of all, it is beautiful. Uh, you have art and fantastic architecture everywhere in, around you. To me, it's the best place where I could live. I think that the love for the city is a more powerful force that convinced me and other people like me to stay here. 
or at least to try to stay here as long as possible. I think Airbnb gets loads of slack for being like one of the main problems in over tourism. And I acknowledge it has been a big part of the problem, especially in terms of raising rental prices and house prices. Um, but I think if it's regulated well, like it is in Amsterdam now, where you can only rent it out for 30 days, it can actually be a force for good in terms of tourism because it means that local residents can actually benefit financially from the tourists who are visiting their city directly. I still feel like there's, it's nicer if that money is going to local residents than going to a huge multinational chain of hotels. And I find it a bit strange that it is seen as like the symbol of what's wrong about tourism because it just maybe needs regulating better. And I don't think the idea of people going to stay in other people's flats that i think there's anything wrong with that i think it's actually really nice yeah i think um definitely the way that amsterdam has done it and paris as well to a lesser extent you can rent it out for 120 days a year i think that's the way of doing it because it means you actually get to stay in real people's homes and that's really nice because you can look at all their stuff and have a nose around <laughs> that's a nosy person i always really enjoy doing that when airbnb first started we've been using it for years and years and um we used to really love going to stay with people because you also get to meet local people who are doing local jobs and can give you a local perspective on things and that's really fun i do think it's become a little bit too professional now yeah and i i do agree that it is a force for bad when people are deliberately buying up flats in order to airbnb them so there has to be regulation in place to stop that happening and actually i think that's what elena was talking about earlier wanting to have contact and with the tourists and wanting to have tourists who are actually interested in the city that they come to visit and the people that live there yeah like all the spanish people who seem very interested in your doorstep Anyway, uh, I think it's just about time for a happy ending. Yes, actually this week, Katie, I have a happy ending commemoration corner collab. Whoa. Can you mix up the two jingles for me? That would sound very, very horrible. Can you just play them on top of each other? Is that actually possible? I'll give it a go. That was horrible. Sorry, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, that's, let's never do that again. So I'm rather bending the definition of a happy ending, uh, perhaps, as I'm talking about the commemoration this week of Operation Market Garden, which was a nine-day operation that was fought in the Netherlands in September 1944, 75 years ago. It led to the deaths of about 11,500 Allied troops. The operation did, however, lead to the liberation of towns south of the river Waal, including Eindhoven and Nijmegen. Now, here comes the happy ending. Good, because I was waiting for it. <laughs> One of the Allied soldiers who was dropped into the area by plane was the American soldier Tom Rice. He is now 98, and after jumping during the D-Day commemorations back in June, he went for it again this week and jumped out of a plane over the Netherlands, causing quite a sensation. Whoa. After he landed, he said the jump had been perfect, and he said, I'm going to do it until I'm 100. <laughs> So keep at it, Tom. You'll be pleased to hear he wasn't jumping alone, but with a young per younger person in control. He's got two years to reach that goal of jumping until 100. Fingers crossed. That is it for this week. Uh, before we go, I would like to say a big thanks to our newest supporter on Patreon, Mikhail Cheney. We're getting loads of people supporting us, Dominic. It's really nice and it's allowing us to 
dream bigger about things that we want to do with the podcast. That is really nice. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, you can also support the show by telling all your friends to listen. That's also extremely helpful, uh, which you can do by shouting about us on social media or not necessarily shouting. You don't have to use capital letters. Uh, we're around on Twitter at Europeans Pod, on Instagram at Europeans Podcast, and the other one, Facebook the europeans podcast you'll find us or you can send us an email we have a new email address hello at europeanspodcast.com um so say hi um or hello or guten tag whatever we'll be back next week with another episode of the europeans check your feed on tuesday tell all your friends about us shout it from the rooftops you should go and shout it from the rooftops of budapest right now yeah go and head to that stadium and ask them if they can play our podcast (laughs) for seven hours That's a great plan. See you next week, everyone. Vislat. Bye.